Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. This is AEW Unrestricted. Aubrey Edwards and Tony Schiavone here. How are you doing, Tony? I'm great, Aubrey. It's always great talking to you. One of my very good friends in this business. So I've got instant coffee. What flavor of monster are you rocking today? The only flavor that I like, really like, is Ultra Fiesta. Fiesta. I would assume that can would be orange. Uh, no, uh, they have an orange flavor. The, uh, the Fiesta is a mango flavored. Ooh, fancy, fancy. Yeah, I, I, I use about, usually about two of these a day because... 155 milligrams of caffeine, which is not bad. You know, it's not like the bang, which is 300 milligrams. So uh, bang makes my face hurt. But speaking of Fiesta and looking nice, I don't know. That's a terrible segue. We've got Justin Roberts here. Hello, sir. How are you today? Hello, everybody. You're looking for for those that only listen to the podcast. Highly recommend watching the video version because Justin dressed up for this. I'm sitting in the closet with a Nickelodeon T-shirt and he's wearing a whole friggin suit. So good on you, sir, for giving a lot of effort for this. I'm glad you're comfortable today, though. Very comfortable. Very comfortable. Anyway, you have been with us since day one of AEW. How did that whole thing happen? I did all in. And after all in, everybody was like, stay tuned, stay tuned. And I'm like, what do you mean? What's going on? I had no idea what was to come. And then shortly after that, I heard from Brandy. And she was asking a bunch of questions. Are you under contract to anybody? Do you have anything going on? So I was talking to Brandy quite a bit. And then she was eventually the one that was like, okay, let's talk. And she told me. And it was so exciting. But at the same time, I couldn't tell anyone. Anyone. I didn't talk about it with anyone. And then once rumors started coming out, that would be my way, like talking to friends, like, hey, did you hear what they said about this or what they said about that? So just hearing people talk about the rumors that were public, that was my way of like kind of talking about it without talking about it. Justin, talk about uh, you were double or nothing in Las Vegas, which is kind of the first AEW event. Talk about what that was like for you and uh, being in in the in the ring for the first AEW match. That was amazing. There were so many months where I was looking forward to that show because, you know, we had all this anticipation of the company building and then we announced the company and then it was still, we have to wait till May to get to this event. So when we got to Vegas, it was like, finally, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the beginning of something new, something huge. And to be in that building sold out with an amazing crowd with you sitting in the front row, in fact, when I announced the Young Bucks match, I'll never forget coming out of the ring and thinking that felt really good. Got out of the ring, walked back to my seat. And as I walked back, 
you mouthed something to me. You're like, that was awesome. Some, something like that. It was just yeah, it so was. cool. Like, whoa, Tony Schiavone just complimented me. This is awesome. But Double or Nothing was amazing. It was the first time that we were working with this new team. So that too was something before the show started. This is a brand new team. You don't know how things are going to flow. So I had an idea of everything going on in the night, but there were still some things that were left in the air and I didn't know how it was going to go over. And you're stressing, you know, just working with the new team. It's, it could be stressful because you don't know how everybody operates. I see Keith Mitchell, who's the executive producer, legend, been around forever. He's done everything. Absolutely and amazing. Keith Mitchell says, uh, hey, man, let's go out there and have fun. <laughs> Take your time and have fun. And as soon as he said that, everything just went, <sighs> okay. Yeah. And that was it. There was no pressure. There wasn't, you know, he's the guy who's in my ear and he's not yelling at me. He's not mean. He's just, hey, take <laughs> your time. And that was it. I, I love Keith Mitchell because I always feel very comfortable coming in and out of commercial. He's like, and we're coming back in 10, nine. And it's weird when Keith Mitchell's not there counting me down because it's right. like, oh, where's where's this polite southern gentleman that's supposed to be <laughs> along with me this through this journey i i love keith mitchell good shout out to him he's so calm and so calm. doing live tv live pay-per-views like it's not a calm environment but keith is so calm and just makes you feel relaxed yeah he's a great conduit for the craziness that is going on in his ear because we all know he's hearing it from yes. tony and from coaches and from everybody else and then it filters through keith and it all comes down Oh, there you come. Yeah, that's the way you got to do it. Hey, I love it. So Keith tells you, like, just have fun, relax, do you. Talk a little bit about the creative freedom that you have at AEW and what it's been like for you being at this company. If there's a scale of creative freedom and there's like a one and a 10, I guess I'm at 100. Since day one, it's just one of those things where I've never been handed a script or I've, I've never been told what to say on anything, starting from the first show when I believe we had a guest singer for the national anthem. I, I can't remember this too long ago, but even with that, I'm like, I don't have anything on who they are or whatever. So I just came up with something and sent it around to a couple people and they're like, sure. And then that kind of set the tone like, oh, I'm just on my own for everything. So I have an idea of the format of the show. And I go through that and I plug in my stuff, you know, like the nerdy ring announcing stuff. Are we going to have a, a pause here to maybe say what type of match it is? And then the rules and kind of set the tone for it before we go into the entrances? Or are we just going into the entrances? And I'll just make my stuff over that and, and kind of make it quick and just get through that just to get to the introductions. So I look at the format of each show and then figure out how to plug my stuff in. And I have total creative freedom on it. If there's ever a question about anything, I'll go to the appropriate person. But I don't have anybody speaking my nerdy language for me. They just leave it up to me because they know. And believe me, I microanalyze the hell out of Everything that I say, there's a reason for everything. I try to make it as easy 
to get to the audience, you know, in seven seconds or whatever it might be so everybody can understand. I love when you say micro analyze everything. Like we'll be in the ring a couple times. Uh, happened a lot at Daily's Place when we we're just kind of standing around waiting for like the next segment to start. And you're like, hey, I'm thinking about saying like, instead, like this person's name like this or maybe like this. And you, you had like three or four different versions with different like inflections and whatnot. I'm like, yeah, just do whatever, man. Like, <laughs> I appreciate so much the amount of like attention to detail you have for something like this. And just absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It's all about the little things. So the pandemic hits, you have your pre-existing condition of asthma and you set out uh, for three months. That had to be a very tough decision. Yeah. Um, so a, a couple of things with that. One, as soon as the pandemic started, Tony made it clear we had a meeting and I, I think it was in catering and he told everybody, if you don't feel comfortable coming, don't come. No problem. No. So right away, it's like, OK, that's that's really cool for him to put that out there for all of us. I asked around. I talked to a lot of doctor friends. I've got asthma. Should I be worried? Yes. We don't know enough right now. And asthma is one of the conditions that if. You know, if you get it, who knows what will happen if, if your lungs aren't strong. So I said, okay, I think the safest thing to do is to sit out. And I mean, just like that week I was offering like, hey, anything I could do. And then it's like, wait, now I'm going to ask to sit out and I don't know how long. So my mom was in a place where she needs extra help. And she was at a place where she could get extra help, 24-hour care. And I went to see her when I came back from this trip. I went to to bring her some stuff. And as I said goodbye to her, she's in, it was a pretty big place. And there's a lot of people that come and go. It was almost like the look that she gave me when she was saying goodbye. Like, I know that it was ravaging places like this. Right. And I'm like, is this the last time I'm going to see my mom? Is she going to catch this thing? And Oh, wow. So I left and I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going on the road. I'm going to be home. I don't feel right being home with my mom being basically in this burning building. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. So I got some stuff to make my house handicap accessible, made it accessible. The next day I picked her up, moved her in with me, and I just wanted to keep her safe. So I became her caregiver for 24 hours. Something I had never done before, something I wouldn't have been able to do if it weren't for the company saying, take the time off. You know, it, if I had to go to work, I wouldn't be able to do that. So I took the time off to keep myself safe. But by the same token, then I was able to keep my mom safe. I don't know what would have happened if I wasn't able to do that. So, so appreciative for Tony, for the company. And part two of that, it sucked being away from everything for three months. Like it, it was weird watching from home. It didn't feel right. I hated not being there, but I was also glad to be able to be home and play it safe for myself, but, you know, kind of more importantly, playing it safe for my mom. So, um, you know, for three months, we got to spend a lot of quality time together. Uh, so that was really good. And, you know, eventually it was like, okay, well, every everybody seems to be doing well. Everybody's been traveling for all this time. And Everyone with our, with our company is good. So I, I think it's safe to go back to work. So I had a couple of weeks to find her a safe place to go where she would be safer than the place she was living. And that's what we did. Uh, once I found her a, a smaller place where people weren't coming and going and it was safe and they're taking all the precautions, my mom was safe. And then I reached out and said, hey, is 
is it okay if I come back? And I said, if you're ready, sure. Whenever you're ready, there's no rush and take your time. And so mom was safe. I came back to work, played it safe. The company was testing like basically from day one and I felt safe going to work. I would stay home, just stay in my yard. Like I, I wouldn't go anywhere except to go to work and I'd throw on a mask, get to work, feel safe around everybody because we we're all being tested. So uh, it was it was a really weird three months being away. But then once I came back, it was really good to come back and feel safe being back. You know, we hear so many stories. We do this podcast about how great it is uh, to work for us. And that's just another example of how great AEW is uh, as a company. But it's also a great example of you, Justin, as not only a human being, but a son. And uh, my hat's off to you for. For those decisions i've got a great mom got to take great care of her and uh go. again that the company is is what made that possible so thank you tony khan yeah and tony khan absolutely so uh, talk about your ring announcing style who were some of your uh, heroes ring announcing heroes growing up i know you do great impressions of howard finkel oh, and yeah. gary and gary capetta okay so who were your heroes growing up caricature uh, type impressions of <laughs> <laughs> Howard Howard was the man. I loved Howard Finkel. You know, that was the booming voice that I heard in my childhood. And um, Howard was was my guy. And uh, of course, later on, I got to work with him and uh, become friends with him. And he was he was the inspiration there. So I'm I'm curious. I see a lot like during Dynamite, you're just doing this without notes. You're just reciting all of this information, weights, heights. Uh, whether they're from North Carolina or not, how do you retain all of this information? A lot of it just comes with repetition. So a lot of the guys, I mean, we have, we have a large roster right now and a large visiting roster. You know, I don't know who's official or who, you know, but we have a lot of guys and girls. And if you're doing dark and elevation and dynamite every week with the same talent, you're just from repetition, you know their hometown, you know their weights. That's mostly it. I look usually right before I go and do a match just to make sure. And I always doubt myself and my memorization. It's just something that I've always stressed. And as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be while I'm in the ring. So sometimes I doubt myself and I'll have like my little note with me just to make sure that, that I'm going to nail everything. Sometimes you go into autopilot. I got carried away on Wednesday night and I was doing an introduction and I had a piece of paper and I just didn't want to look at it. And I was on autopilot and I got back to my seat. I was like, Hey, did I say this? Cause I had no recollection. I was just in that zone. Sometimes you don't know what came out in that moment. Justin, you've, uh, you've had so many, uh, what I call memorable ring introductions. I mean, the way you introduce Kenny Omega, the way you say North Carolina, the way you say John Moxley and you, and you, you know, you, you kind of, uh, stretched, not kind of, but you do stretch that out. What introduction defines you as an announcer if there is one? That's a great question. And you would never believe it if I told you. It's not one that I used to do. It's not one that I do regularly now. Okay. I don't think I've ever really talked about this. I think people assume that I go out there and say names, that any ring announcer goes out there and, and says names, that Hey, you got an easy job. You go out there and you just say people's names. Right. There's a real art to ring announcing. No question. Sometimes it, it is about the art. Sometimes it is about just having a good voice or a good look. 
for me, it's it's never been about that. It's always been about the art. And as we're talking about the little, just nerdy things that I pick apart. So you want to make, for me, with the art of ring announcing, I want to make people feel something with an introduction. So the announcement that defines me more than anything as an announcer took place after Dynamite went off the air, uh, pre-pandemic. It was, and never believe this, we pulled two guys out of the crowd, a guy with a Scooby-Doo costume and a guy dressed as Jesus. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember this. We were just messing around. The EVPs used to come out after the show and mm-hmm. we would just do random stuff after Dynamite went off the air. Just, And it was fun every night. We never knew what was going to happen. Nothing was ever planned. Right. We just rolled with the punches. So we have Jesus and Scooby-Doo in the ring. <laughs> we have QT and Brandon Cutler, who were both good guys at the time. And we had a match between the four of them, QT and Brandon against Scooby-Doo and Jesus. I made the announcement of the match. We ended up having a match with them. And I made the match on the fly. The, the announcements made QT and Brandon Cutler, who were good guys, mm-hmm. out to be bad guys. Okay. With the tone of my voice, <laughs> we never said it. They never did anything wrong. But just with the tone of my voice, was able to get the entire arena to boo them and to cheer these two fans who came out from the crowd. You got the crowd to go down and to come up and to boo and to cheer. And that's the magic of ring announcing. If you have the art, you're able to do that just with the inflection. You could lead them to cheer, lead them to boo, but that's the art of ring announcing. Justin's one of the greatest. I mean... So, so fantastic. I mean, we, we talk about how wrestling entrances are so critical to defining who a character is uh, before they're even in the ring. And Justin, you're just such a critical part of that. So I'm glad that you're here today. This is wonderful conversation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. One of the guys came up to me last week in catering. He goes, I, I think I'm, I'm ready to change up my announcement. I said, really? What, what are you looking for? He goes, I don't really know. But something like, I said, okay, let me give you an example of something. And I pointed out two different guys. I said, this guy over here, his announcement used to be, and I did it for him. I said, now he's a good guy. And also he's very popular with the fans and you know, he's going to get a big reaction. So now his introduction has morphed into this. And then I did that with another talent. I said, I introduce you accordingly based on your character and what goes with the type of reaction you want when you're introduced for, you know, what type of reaction you're hoping for. I'm trying subliminally to help you get what you're looking for. And that's why when I introduce you, I do this. And I showed him like what I do for him. And he just thought about it. I said, you still want me to change it? He goes, no, he goes, I I just needed an explanation, but I get it now. Ah. I don't think People realize that I've microanalyzed how I'm introducing them, and there's a reason for it. When I first started, and you would ask about Double or Nothing, the weird thing with Double or Nothing, I'm a guy that people had seen on TV for many years. I'm off TV for, what, four or five years at this point? Right. Come back to wrestling, and people have expectations for how I'll be as a ring announcer. So if I show up to Double or Nothing and start with a clean slate and give everybody introductions that are 
kind of fitting to where we're at because you know we haven't we haven't really started anything so nothing has organically been built you organically build it after you've been announcing somebody for a while you know as the crowd starts to take to guys you build their introduction so starting fresh on day 1 i couldn't just show up after this break and show up to a pay-per-view and announce everybody down here it just wouldn't feel right so for double or nothing I gave bigger introductions that weren't organic. In fact, with the Young Bucks that night, I basically gave the John Moxley introduction for the Young Bucks, knowing that they're going to get a huge babyface reaction. I couldn't just be like, the Young Bucks, you know? So I gave them the, the Young Bucks. Like I, I just made it work. But at the time, it, it just wasn't organic. And now where we're at, it's, you know, the Young bucks good stuff man we're talking with justin roberts uh there's more than justin than uh than just being a ring announcer we'll talk about the early uh, moments early parts of his career when we continue on aew unrestricted we're talking with justin roberts on aew unrestricted who i've said many times is the very best ring announcer in this business and that's a fact and it's great to have him with us here on unrestricted Justin, you started out doing some indie announcing in high school. What got you into that? So when I was a junior in high school, I was 16, and there was an independent company in Chicago called Pro Wrestling International. They had a show coming up, and I knew Dave Prezak, who was the ring announcer for it. Yeah. And I just looked at wrestling as, I want to get into wrestling, right? I I had met uh, PJ Walker, just incredible. And I asked him, how do you get started in wrestling? And he goes, well, I have a friend named Tony who's a trainer. So he gives me a number for Tony DeVito in New York. And I reached out to Tony DeVito and like, I, I just wanted to be a wrestler. And I realized at 15, I probably can't be a wrestler. I didn't think it was me. And I'd have to go to New York. And you know, here I am, a junior in high school. I don't think my parents will let me like drop out of school and, and move to New York to learn how to be a wrestler. So sure. What can I do to get into wrestling that would be a little bit easier? What's the easy way into pro wrestling? <laughs> be a ring announcer. Everything else needs training. To be a ref, you need training. To be a manager, you need training. Everything is... I could do that voice. They used to call on me in class to read out loud, and I'd read a paragraph of the voice, and they'd go to somebody else, and they'd come back to me, Justin, read again, and I would do a different voice. And One of my voices was an announcer voice, a very fake, deep announcer voice. So I'm like, man, I... I could be a ring announcer because like we talked about, all you have to do is say names. How hard is that? I could do that. So I was doing a wrestling hotline, reached out to a couple of people with the show and Dave Prezak was the announcer, but they let me come in to do one match. And Dave was gracious enough to actually let me do two matches. What a guy. So I did the two matches on the show that led to great. You could come back and do our next one. Dave was working a bunch of places. Uh, so they let me come in and, and do their shows. So for two years, I did their shows. And then after two years, I went to college in Tucson, met up with uh, somebody, uh, Del Pierce, gave me the number for the honky tonk man who connected me to the Navajo warrior, Navajo kid. And he started getting me bookings with everybody in this region. I hooked up with Del Ganya, who uh, reformed his version of the AWA in 99. And so that just opened a, a whole new world of independence out West, being at school, working with the independents, anything through Dell, anything through Navajo. And then 
I started working with the Tough Man Contest. It was a boxing show on FX. And I think that sort of helped elevate me, which came later on when, when I started sending videotapes out to WWE and WCW at the time. So that's how it all started in Chicago into the West Coast. So you, you mentioned just now you send in some tapes to WWE. Like, how does getting an announcing gig work at a place like a major wrestling company? Do they give you a tryout? Do you have to, like, I have no idea. So give us some insight. I had never known what really works. All I knew was I started doing it for fun. But then after a while, I thought, I wonder if I actually have a shot at the big time. So every independent show I would do, I would bring a camcorder and get footage of my ring announcing. As I started working bigger shows with guys and girls that came from WWE and WCW, I'm like, oh, this will probably look more appealing because I've got Sensational Sherry. I've got the Bushwhackers. I've got King Kong Bundy, George the Animal Steel, Yokozuna. So Sergeant Slaughter, who's actually one of their agents. So I would make videotapes like every three months. I would update my resume, update my videotapes and send them to WCW and send them to WWF. And I did that tape after tape after tape, never heard anything. I would call up and try to talk to Terry Taylor. I would call up and try to talk to Kevin Kelly. And eventually I just kept sending and was able to connect with them. And Terry Taylor said, oh, you're out in Arizona. Maybe uh, I, I could uh, get you to meet Eric Bischoff at some point. And Kevin Kelly said, hey, we really don't have anything right now, but you know, we'll keep you in mind. And I, I just kept pushing. And uh, I didn't know if, if that worked or not. But eventually, I was in Phoenix to do an independent show in Prescott. And WWE was in town for a Raw. And we went to see Sergeant Slaughter. And we were sitting at the hotel. We were outside. And uh, the executive producer was walking into the hotel and I recognized him from Tough Enough. I said, hey, uh, do you think I should go up and say something? And they go, yeah, of course. So I ran up and said, hey, I, I just want to introduce myself. I'm a ring announcer. I've been sending you videotapes. He goes, yeah, I know who you are. I've seen your stuff. Maybe one day we'll put you in the ring and see what you could do. So shortly after that, graduated college, sent out uh, an email as I had been sending out many emails. Hey, it's me again. Just wanted to let you know, I graduated college and um, I'm in Arizona. I, I don't have anything going on. Happy to drive to California, to New Mexico, anywhere, anything I could do. And they said uh, the next day they called me and said, we're going to bring you out for a tryout. And that was that. Perseverance, buddy. It's a not everybody has it. But congratulations on that. It's a great story, man. Thank you. It's a great story. So uh, is it true you uh, trained as a referee at one point? I did. Uh, <laughs> so there was a tour, uh, Navajo Warriors, Stevie Islas, greatest guy ever. He, most of the, the promoters would come to him and he would book the ring, the undercard, the referee, the ring announcer, and then the show would have like their couple of draws. So there was a tour, a four day tour in New Mexico. And Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, was going to be on it. And I was a huge Mr. Perfect fan. And I called him up and I go, dude, I got to get on this tour. He goes, well, they already have the ring announcer for it. But I booked a referee and I could book you instead. I said, OK, no training whatsoever. Never ref. So I go out that weekend to California with Steve and our buddy Lee. And I worked a Rick Drazen show and refed on that. They taught me as we went. That's actually where I first met 
John Cena, actually. That was that was our first meeting. So I did this Rick Drazen show where I'm learning to ref on the fly. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of messing around because they're my buddies. And I'm still like pretty immature at this point. I'm probably, I don't know. I was young and just immature and just having fun in there. So then we go off and we do this tour. And every match, there's 10 matches. And every match is a veteran that I grew up watching. There was Steve Kern. There was the Bushwhackers. There was Honky Tonk Man. I mean, you name them, they were on this show. And of course, Mr. Perfect, who was teaming with Road Warrior Animal, uh, working Public Enemy. Every night, I'm doing 10 matches, a guy that's never repped at all. So every, every, every match, every night, I have a veteran giving me advice. Hey, when you do this, do this. Bushwhackers. Hey, when you're refing a match, stay with the baby faces. Get just all these little rules that I never knew existed. Because again, I think people, people feel like a, a ref, like announcing, is a very easy job. Anybody can do it. Right. It's yeah. one of the hardest jobs there is. Thanks, buddy. Checks in the mail. I have so much respect. You know, it's there is so <laughs> much. It is such a hard job. But I found that out the hard way from, oh, you just go in and you count. You learn the art of refing and you learn all the little rules that are in there. And so we, I became a referee just so I could work with Kurt Hennig. But that came in handy. Anytime I couldn't get on a show as a ring announcer, I'd get on as a ref. And they even handed me the mic to like cut promos. It's like a, a promo cutting referee because I had like the ring announcer skills. So uh, it was... I still have this video clip. I'm cutting this promo and Kurt Henning standing behind me goes, look at this, this Tom Zink looking guy. That's, that's what he used to call this Tom Zink looking guy cutting a promo. It was fun. Boy, one of the things that Justin, or rather a piece of advice that Justin gave me very early on in my tenure at AEW was the idea of the story that the ref and the timekeeper tell together. And there's one of the things probably like, it's one of those things that I don't think is ever caught on camera, but people who sit sort of ringside, maybe see it. But Brooklyn, who is our timekeeper rings the bell every show. Anytime I throw up like a two or a one or whatever, I make eye contact with her and she recognizes and says it back. And she's holding up the, the stick to ring the bell as if like, you know, she's about to go like, we're both telling a story and communicating together. And that's such an important part of what like I think about as far as what I'm doing. And Justin is 100% the reason why I do it because he sits and he watches everything. And he sees it from the perspective of someone who's right there and is trying to get everything. So I think even from the perspective of like learning how to ref and getting all of these little like tips and whatnot. Like I think it kind of all feeds back into itself because you've said there's all of these nuances that you have with announcing, but there's so many nuances that come with wrestling. And I think understanding the bigger picture and how everything works together, I think definitely in, in my opinion, makes you a better ring announcer. So, well, thank you. It's, it's everything. It's all, all these little things that you would never really pick up on unless like you just pointed it out. Now people could watch and see like, Oh, I never realized that. With most of these little things, it's stuff that you never realize, but it all works together to make it. And I, I think part of my like almost downside is I've sat ringside, front and center for so many shows since 1996. The amount of shows that I've seen from a fan's perspective, 
every night sitting there watching the entire production from beginning to end. So everything that happened in 96, 97, 98, 2004, 2009, I know what's taken place and the type of reaction it's gotten and what's worked and what hasn't worked and what feels good and what feels off. So I have all this almost useless information stored up in here. <laughs> so to apply it wherever I can, you know, I, I like to, and you don't, I hate giving unsolicited advice, but sometimes there's just like, Hey, I just want to throw this out there. If you want to take it cool, if you don't, but it's just, I want to share what I have because I want everybody to be better if it could help them be better. You know, I listen, listen to both of you talk. Uh, how instrumental you are, both are in what goes on in the ring. Just It makes me envious. It, it really does. Because the only thing I do is sit up there at a desk, drink water, and say, you're right, JR. You're right, Excalibur. That's <laughs> I about- disagree. You are all over the show, <laughs> and I'm glad you are. I, I really am. I Every week, it never gets old. Every week, I always say, I love Tony. I'm so glad he's here. And everything you do, whether it's on commentary, an in-ring interview, an interview on the stage, a backstage interview, hosting a press conference, you do it all. And everything you do, I'm sure people are like, he stands there with a microphone or he just talks. Everything you do, it's the same thing. And only you could pull off what you do and how you do it. And it's special. And it's, it's part of, it's one of those elements that makes our show what it is. We have a total variety show. We have everything. Our show is so interesting as far as, you know, talent wise and the types of matches we have and just it's such there's something for everyone. And there's this cast of characters, Jr., who's there's only one Jr. and Jr. is so special and he brings such a, a special piece to the show. And you are the same way. You come from a different direction and bring something special. Excalibur, who's been doing this for so long and is so amazing at what he does. And you guys all team up to make commentary what it is and to make our show what it is. You guys provide that. You know, we see what we see in the ring, but you guys explain everything that's going on and you guys set that tone and just everybody working together. And the idea that our referees have identities, we announce and acknowledge our referees And Aubrey is special and our fans love our referee, Aubrey, and our fans love or hate, depending who you are, Rick Knox and Paul Turner. Uh, You know, it's like Bryce Remsburg is a character. It's like, I love Bryce. Everybody has an identity and we all add to the show and you guys all help to make it special. It's not just about the hardworking wrestlers who, you know, you would think it's just about the, it's not, it's all about them, but it's also about you guys and everybody around. Everybody feels special. If you make everybody feel special and build them up to be important, they're going to be important. It's only going to help in the show. If, if everybody loves Aubrey and you make her special and then one day somebody uh, beats up Aubrey, sorry, hope it doesn't happen. No, it's fine. But then everybody uh, <laughs> boos and now hates this person who beat up Aubrey because you've established her <laughs> and made her feel important. So it's amazing that everybody's allowed to be important. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. And and listen, we, we appreciate you saying all that. I really do. But this is not about us. It's about you, Justin Roberts. And we have one more question before we take a uh, time out here. And that is, well, 
you were you did an episode of the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> tell us how that happened. Uh, tell us uh, what it was like on and off camera. I was in college and uh, I was working a show with a, a guy named Big Daddy uh, Rick in uh, in New York. A super good guy, the, the guardian of chaos. And we were working a bunch of a- AWA shows together. And he said, oh, I just did this thing with the Jerry Springer show. Uh, by the way, they would love you. Uh, you backstreet boy looking dude. Like they they would love you. <laughs> I'm 19. I got uh, the earring in the ear. You know, I was young like you, Tony. And uh, I'm like, uh, okay, uh, sure. That, that sounds like something I would, I would maybe be interested in. I grew up in Chicago. Everybody loved Jerry Springer in that time. We actually went senior year in high school. We took the day off school. We went down to the city, my good friends and I, and we watched the taping and it was awesome. So fast forward a year. Yeah, it was just like a year later. No, two years. And I call up the, the producer and I say, hey, my name is Justin Roberts. Uh, Big Daddy recommended that I, I reach out. If you're ever in need, if I could ever do anything to help out, please let me know. Iron Sheik had just been on. He comes out and totally drops his storyline. He comes out and cuts his promo on Hulk Hogan. It was amazing. So I knew it was very wrestling-esque. And I didn't know what was real and what was maybe, you know, but anything I could help with on the whatever part. So uh, the producer's like, cool, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Calls me that night. And he goes, hey, you know your girlfriend from the past six months? She's got something to tell you. Okay. So he tells me the deal. I go, oh, do I, like, you know, I, what's the deal? He goes, oh, you know, you want to break up with her or whatever. Okay, cool. Sure. He goes, so you want to do it? It shoots uh, Monday or Friday. I think there's like a Thursday. I tell the story in my book. I don't, I don't remember the details right now, uh, but it was something like it shoots Monday in Chicago. So here I am at school in Tucson, U of A. I go, let me get back to you. I call my parents. I go, hey, can you put this on speakerphone? Hey, the the Jerry Springer show just invited me to go on. They fly me home. They'll pay me. They'll whatever, put me up in the hotel. I get a free trip home. And plus, I get to be on TV. This will be cool. So my parents thought about it. They're like, sure, if you want to do it, go ahead. Flew out to Chicago. I sat down with with the producer. He told me the storyline. And this is kind of where it all started. Like, I, I love producing wrestling and i i'm not a producer so i can only do this when i can but he told me the the story laid it out and i go what if you tell me this then i do this but then hold off and do this and i'll react and then you do this and then i'll come in and do this you know taking the audience on a ride and that's what we did and i did jerry springer (laughs) wow i i never thought of jerry springer that way but with the explanation it all sort of makes sense. It's like, oh, yeah, no, it's everyone goes for a wild ride when they're watching that show. <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth to it, but sometimes when uh, something needs to be, you know, embellished. Yeah. Pro wrestling, we have influenced many genre. Believe you <laughs> me, we have. It's funny because pro wrestling really carries over to everything. I, I know you're going to break. Make this real quick. It carries over to everything. And maybe when we come back, I could give you an example of that. Okay, let's do that and also have the fan Q&A questions. Hey, everybody. This is AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. Aubrey Edwards and Tony Schiavone here with our close personal friend, Justin Roberts. Uh, We talked a little bit about, before the break, how wrestling sort of makes its way into everything else. 
like what are your thoughts on that justin i feel like wrestling is everything and everything is wrestling when i was out of wrestling I thought I was done with wrestling. You know, I, I didn't think I would ever work in wrestling again. Actually wrote a whole book about it that wrote my autobiography, told the story about just everything in wrestling. And then I started working in uh, pro boxing in uh, Muay Thai, even in arm wrestling. Um, everything that I did, I brought elements of pro wrestling with me. And I would talk to them. I said, Hey, I, I know we're doing this. Have you ever tried doing this? And I would make everything wrestling. So Fast forward to uh, get a call from my buddy, Adam Jones, who's the guitarist from Tool. And he goes, hey, we're doing this really big show in Arizona. And I think you'd be a great host for this deal we're doing. I go, okay, cool. I show up and he tells me what he wants to do. And I go, hey, what if we tell the fans that we're doing this, but then we do this and we go in here, we do this. And it was very, I laid it out just like pro wrestling, the same way I had done with Springer, the same way with some of the arm wrestling elements. So now for a tool concert, I'm, I'm making it pro wrestling, taking the audience on that emotional roller coaster. And that night, the fans went down here, then they were up here. I mean, we took him for a ride and he came to me that night. He goes, dude, that was awesome. You have to come on tour with us. So yeah. for like the next three years, I toured with tool hosting events for them. And every night we would switch it up and just take elements of like wrestling psychology and make that part of the show. So wrestling really, it's everywhere. I love it. All right. Fan Q&A. Before we get into fan Q&A, we're going to do Aubrey and Tony Q&A. Uh, what is so special about your earpiece? So my earpiece, um, I've always <laughs> worn one earpiece, which is amazing. I'm, I'm allowed to wear it in this company and I have communication with anybody that needs to buzz me. It's cool to be able to get messages, but we were doing the shows at in Jacksonville. We were at Daly's place and we went from not having anybody in the crowd at all to having audience like way up in the stands, which was amazing when they, when they came back, like it was amazing to have them up there. By the time we were ready to leave Daly's place, we had fans all around the ring and they were loud and they were excited. And for the first time in AEW, the Varsity Blondes music hit. I don't know if you were refing that match. It was uh, it was an elevation or a dark right before. Yeah, it was before did. Dynamite. Right before Dynamite. And Varsity Blonde, we hadn't had fans around the ring at all. It got so loud. It had to be elevation. It got so loud that they're coming out. And I've got these these custom ears from Ultimate Ears. They uh, they're they're custom made so they fit and i can't hear anything from the outside it was so loud that i couldn't hear what was coming out of here because the fans were making so much noise and i'm looking i can't hear the producer i look at tony who will always stop on commentary for the introduction and i'm looking at him and i could tell he wasn't talking i'm like the following contest whatever and i just started going but i couldn't hear anything so wow the varsity blondes pop that they got was so loud <laughs> that since then, I'm like, our, our audience is excited. They're loud. They're glad to be back. Now, going forward, I'm wearing two of these. Both ears, for the first time, are now covered because our fans are so loud. And I can't hear anymore with just having one. So I've got two in so I could hear what I need to hear. That's a great story. I remember that moment. And I didn't realize that you you couldn't hear anything. But I remember thinking... 
damn, that's a loud pop for the Varsity Blondes. It was amazing. And then the referee ran out. I think it was later. Bryce Rimsburg came out, and they popped for him. And I'm thinking, boy, these fans are really back into this shit. (laughs) (laughs) We had been doing these amazing shows for so long, and we didn't know the huge reactions people were having at home. And we finally got to hear it. Absolutely. Good stuff, Justin. Good stuff. Okay. Uh, This one is from... uh, Jim Vassalone, uh, did you or do you practice ring announcing in a mirror? And is it a full-size mirror? As <laughs> uh, strange as it sounds, I just can't practice announcing. Uh, I have no idea what's going to come out. I have an idea of what I want to do, but I have no idea how it's going to come out until I'm in that moment, till I hear the reaction of the fans, till I have the music playing, till I have... You know, the just the ambiance, I have no idea until that moment. So I, I wish I could practice, but there's just no way to practice until it's live. Damn. There's a question from 1800 Dysfunction that I'm actually very curious about. Something that I hear you a lot anytime you announce Ray Phoenix. But how do you pick up the masterful rolling of the R's? I don't know where it came from. Uh, I just, <laughs> I took Spanish like 101 in seventh grade. And then you had the option to go uh, in eighth grade to the next level or stay and, and do the same level again. Um, I said, well, why well, make it harder on myself? Sure. I'll just do the same one again. Got to high school freshman year and they go, uh, Hey, you have this from seventh and eighth grade. Do you want to go up a level or do you want to start at basic Spanish? I thought, well, I'll just do basic Spanish again. Got to college, same deal. So I took basic Spanish four times <laughs> so I think I just got really good at saying certain things. Like I was just having fun with it and that's how it came about. And then uh, I stole it from Joel Gertner. Uh, he introduced Rey Mysterio on an ECW show that I saw. And I said, Oh, I'm going to do that. You know, wherever I can, obviously I, I didn't have a lot of bars to announce, but that's, uh, that's what I did for Rey Mysterio later on. And then down the road, Ray Phoenix. Well, you're going to have to end up doing a well, well, well. Okay, uh, let's let's go to Brian Darby, who tells us his job has to be on a microphone in front of three uh, in front of people three days a week. Uh, how do you keep from a cold from messing with your voice? I just try to prevent getting a cold. If I ever feel a cold coming on, I take oregano oil. It's a, a trick that I learned from Fit Finley many years ago. I thought he was ribbing me because he is a ribber. Uh, yes, he and is. it turns out that it's a real thing. Um, and a lot of people in the, the music industry, all the touring folks keep oregano oil on them. And if you just take oregano oil and some vitamin C on top of it as a cold's coming on, you just try to prevent it. And if you do catch a cold, you just try to fake it for the uh, 20 seconds or whatever it is that you're on the microphone. Damn. Absolutely. Question from Jim Wagner. Loved your book, Best Seat in the House, your backstage pass through uh, WWE Journey. Um, being another kid from Chicago, what was your favorite wrestling memory at the Rosemont, uh, horizon as a kid? Probably going to my first ever show and just, I had just fallen in love with wrestling, loved it, loved watching it on TV. And when my buddy Adam invited me to a show, we pulled up to the Rosemont horizon and I was just like, there it is. Like the the WWF ring is inside this building. Hulk Hogan is inside this building. And just walking in for the first time and seeing the ring, 
and seeing the larger than life wrestlers standing right in front of me, like that was it. that that first memory of just walking in was so special. And to me, still, every time from that day on to even now, every time I drive past that building, like I just stare in awe. That's that's my Madison Square Garden. That's amazing to me. Uh, Bobby Sweet wants to know, this is at Bobby Sweet. Do you hold grudges against people who choke you with your own tie? Just wondering. Hmm. Haven't thought about that for a while. (laughs) Right after it happened, no, everything was fine. Now that I think about it, I don't don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There you go. It's like everything was fine because you had just been asphyxiated by being choked with your own tie. Completely forgot. Passed out. Uh, I didn't know this. Uh, Cleaner for belts. How did you end up getting a part in Sleepless in Seattle? (laughs) So I used to do extra work uh, as a kid. I was with a company called uh, Holzer Roche Casting in Ridge. And I was an extra in like Sleepless in Seattle, Blue Chips, Only the Lonely, I Love Trouble. And uh, you couldn't see me in any of those. Stuart saves his family, uh, except for Soul Food. Like I'm standing in a park when Vivica Fox is walking, you see me like. So I didn't really do anything. I was, I was an extra. And then when I had a trading card at, at WWE, they actually like put those movies on the back of my trading card. I don't think they realized that I was, I was an extra in it. But still, I technically was in it. But uh, I was just an extra. Spanish Goddish would like to know. Spanish Goddish is the Twitter handle. Does Justin have any funny road stories? And my uh, answer to that would probably be thousands yeah, of them. Absolutely. But can you? Can you give us one? I mean, there's road stories. Anytime you get in the car with anybody from wrestling, we're all like really weird and we're all funny and just trying to entertain each other and ourselves. Probably most of my like funny stories are riding with Tommy Dreamer because. Oh, my God. We're just, <laughs> like, we're riding through New Mexico and he starts taking his clothes off. And I'm like, Tommy, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm going to suntan. And he just opens the sunroof and opens up his window and just lays back and starts tanning. Uh, that's the first one that comes to mind. But I mean, there's stories with everybody. <laughs> that's a good one. It, I'm sure I could think of a lot better, funnier ones. But just the idea, anything that Dreamer did was hysterical. He's nuts. That's not surprising at all, to be perfectly honest. Like, <laughs> knowing Dreamer, like, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times we just like walk into restaurants and just be like hey uh, i'll take the usual and they'll be like what uh i'm sorry i don't know what that is you know the usual and then my friend that i'd be with was, oh, i'll do the same just just stupid stuff so dumb just entertain ourselves and entertain the person love it question from anxious millennial cowboy on twitter if you could introduce any wrestler from history who would it be and what would you say macho man randy savage Ooh. that is probably the only person that I never I got to introduce him for a video game but like I never got to introduce him for real he was the only one missing I think I think everybody else that I want to work with um, I was able to do so with Macho Man it, it would be something big something big for sure Kimmy Martinez uh, hashtag JBL17 or JB17 wants to know about the Kenny Omega Michael Jordan style intro with North Carolina uh, did you train or did you practice getting in uh, those many facts about Kenny without making any mistakes? Kenny had come to me when we first started doing that. And 
he talked about making a North Carolina reference in there. So I, I don't remember what I said the first time we did it. As a kid from Chicago, I grew up watching the Chicago Bulls, and I had it in my head when they were doing the Bulls introductions for Michael Jordan in North Carolina. I didn't want to go back and watch Ray Clay do that because I didn't want to do it how he actually did it. I just wanted to have the idea of how I remembered him all these years later doing it and also make it my own, Kenny's own for North Carolina, for Kenny. So I had that as like the inspiration in the back of my mind. And then I just kind of took it a little bit too far and got carried away and made it into a much bigger North Carolina. It started getting over. So why not run with it? And I would just make references based on like, there's a rush fitness. That's where I used to train when I would do shows in, in North Carolina. So Kenny once uh, went for something, uh, the rush fitness in North Carolina. If we were going to say it was from Winnipeg, I couldn't say. So I would just find a way to put North Carolina. He once ate at the IHOP in North Carolina. <laughs> it just got more and more ridiculous. Alex Marvez, the wind beneath my wings, would come up with all of these facts about Kenny. So it was a big collaboration. He would give him the facts. I would go through, kind of make it my own take from that, what I thought, give it a good flow, run it by Kenny, get Kenny's take on it, and then off to the races. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff sometimes in only maybe 45 seconds. So I'm going super fast and you only have one take to do it. And sometimes, which this is huge that I don't think people know this, Jacksonville, it never really came across on TV. Awesome venue. That's our home. Love Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it was super humid and sometimes it was freezing. It was 30 yes. some degrees. And people don't realize that. So props to everyone, everyone who was in the ring, refs, commentators, everyone who was out there working when it was that cold because it's hard. It's hard to move your mouth. It's hard to move your body. So the idea that it was that cold and you're announcing this in one take and my mouth was frozen for like the <laughs> Kenny and Mox match that we had for, I think it was winter is coming when it was like 39 degrees that night. Yep. You have one yes, take it really was. and you're frozen. So I'm doing all this I'm like Kenny. Oh, and like the, um, the Kenny Omega introduction sucked because I was frozen and my throat went and my mouth, even like everything was numb. So it was hard to talk and uh, belt out a good one, but props to everybody for working hard, even when it was freezing or really hot out there. Props to everybody. I, I, I love that eventually it all paid off. And when we did the show in North Carolina, it's like, yeah, let's just do a basketball entrance to begin with. That was so cool. The crowd loved it. There were, uh, there were a lot of signs. Uh, there were a lot of people wearing the North Carolina t-shirts available on shop, of course. It was <laughs> awesome. It was a really cool moment for everybody in North Carolina. And I think everybody watching around the world at the pay-per-view in Jacksonville, Everybody said North Carolina along with me, which is another uh, really cool, uh, just a really cool moment coming back from the pandemic. We did double or nothing. Everybody said North Carolina with me. Everybody said the Kenny Omega with me. And there was one other announcement. I'm trying to think of what it was, but it's something that started during the pandemic that you didn't know how the, the audience was going to take to it. And it got over. Everybody was saying it with me. It's so cool. It has to be John Moxley. 
the way you say John. I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was the John. I think it was something new. Okay. It was something new. Uh, it'll come to me as soon as the interview okay. ends. But there was a third <laughs> one that they, I'm like, wow, like three announcements like really got over during the pandemic. And it was cool. All right, Justin. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks for having me. I love listening to the podcast and it's cool to be a guest. I probably won't listen to this because it's mine, but I'll listen to all the other ones. You can follow Justin Roberts on Instagram and Twitter at Justin Roberts. And don't forget, Rampage debuts Friday, August 13th at 10 p.m. on TNT. You can watch Justin also on Elevation. Uh, Mondays on YouTube. You can also watch them on Dark. Tuesdays on YouTube. And of course, AEW Dynamite every Wednesday live on TNT, 8 o'clock, 7 central. You like our podcast? Well, guess what? It's for free wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a rating and review while you're at it and check out the video of the podcast on YouTube. Search AEW Unrestricted. My name is Tony Schiavone. My name is Aubrey Edwards. Thanks for listening to Unrestricted. Yeah. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Unrestricted.